Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. I know this isn't super personal, but I'll ask it anyways. How are you today? Are you doing all right? Like we always just kind of kind of roll through here. Hot term two, can't hear you, but glad you're here. And uh, those of you watching online, um, I, I asked that because today's going to be a little bit different. Like I, I really want you to ask that question to yourself. Like how are you today? Like like in particular, we'll get to this in just a moment. But like a, a certain part of your life, I want you to look at in a, in a very specific and maybe targeted way today. Back in April, I had the privilege of attending an uh, event at um, the, the we're, you know, Calvary's a part of the Assemblies of God. It's a fellowship of churches that we're part of and was at the national office in Springfield, Missouri and was out there for a day. And I got there the day before and had the, the evening before the event just to myself. Well, I had lived there for five years. Rhonda and I went to college there. The, the first couple years that we were married, Rhonda and I lived in Springfield. So I've got a lot of history there are a lot of places, and I, I just had time to myself, so I kind of did like an old tour down memory lane, right? I went back to the college campus, and I went and looked at the place where we lived, and I went back to the place where we worked during that time, and, and ate at, at a favorite place, you know, did all those kinds of things that you do when you kind of do a little nostalgia tour. And I remember I sat in the parking lot of the college, and I thought to myself, I'm having a hard time remembering some of this. Not like some of you are like, yeah, that happens over time. I don't mean that. I mean, like, life has gone by so fast. Like, I look back over the last, like, like none of your business how many years. I look back over those years, and I thought to myself, there's an awful lot that I don't remember, because it really feels like these years have just shot by. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm not alone. Like, you have these moments. And, like, I thought to myself, did I make the most out of it? which is no good to think about, right? <laughs> Except for the fact that it caused me then to go, am I making the most of what I have now and in the future? And it was in that moment that the whole idea is, I was sitting there in, in this rental car in Springfield, Missouri. I'm sitting there, and that's where the whole idea for this series came from. I was like, sometimes, Chad, if you need to take a moment and slow down and think about this, maybe it would be good for the church to take a moment and, and slow down Think about not just life in the past, but life in the future. That's why we've called this whole series Sunday Drive, to take a moment just to kind of slow down, think about life, think about what's ahead for us, think about who we are. And and that's when I felt like the Spirit just kind of dropped in my heart. Take the book of Ecclesiastes and use that in this series. And so we've been working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've been asking some really interesting questions. But if you boil it all, all down, right, both the thought that hit me in that car and then the thought that hits you when you read through this book, and especially as you get through and you see the different things that Solomon's thinking about, we'll talk about that here in just a moment, the question that I guess I wanna ask you today and, and, and challenge you to think about and even how you are with this in your heart today, what does God want? Like, what, what does God really want from us? What does God really want from you? Like if you boil it all down and you really think about this, this fact that, that we have a creator and you're here today, you're, you're sitting in church, you've come to the house of God or you're taking enough time to, to listen to this message, you're interacting with this in some way, the question that we do well to consider and kind of think about today is this, what does God really want from us? Is this all he wants? Does he just want us to go to church? 
Or does he just want us to you know, be good people? Let's just make sure we don't do bad things. Some people say what God wants is your money, or at least that's what the church says. Some people would say that God's, God's out there because he's trying to keep us from having fun. Other people would say, look, God just wants us to be good people. He just wants us to live a certain way and help others. When Solomon writes this book, and we, we believe that King Solomon is the one who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, it's interesting because he keeps referring to himself as the teacher. It's an interesting title to give, but we, we do know historically that Solomon seems to be the wisest person that ever lived. And so it seems like in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's an old man, and he's looking back on his life, and he's wanting to pass along wisdom to those who are behind him, and he's trying to give this to him. And one of the things that we're asking the question today is, what does God really want from us? What do we learn from this wisdom that Solomon gives to us? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, because we're going to be looking at the first seven verses there today. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And I just want to kind of give you a heads up now, because today's a little bit different from maybe some of the other messages, or at least from my perspective as I share this one. A lot of times I feel like I'm a messenger on a, on a Sunday morning. Like I feel like I have something that God has, has put inside of my heart, and I'm supposed to be the messenger and then kind of share that to you. That's actually the role of, of, of preaching or kind of uh, biblically kind of a, a prophetic voice in a certain way, if you would. Today I don't feel so much like a messenger. I feel more like a facilitator. Right? I'm, not, I'm not asking you to just hear what I say. I'm asking you today to hear what God has to say. Like I'm more interested today in, in you thinking about the questions and the thoughts that we're going to ponder in the next few moments and asking, how am I with this between me and God? What does God not just want from me theoretically, but what does God want from me specifically? Like where, where is my life directly with God? So today, what I, what I hope will happen is that you won't have a, an opportunity to hear what I say, but that you'll, you'll actually, as we go through these scriptures, you're going to have a bit of a dialogue with God for yourself today. And be open to what God might want to say to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2. We're going to start here today. Um, I, I want to throw some thoughts your way, and then at the end of the service, we're going to take a few moments to worship God together as we kind of bring things in for a landing. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2. Solomon writes, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. That verse kind of, even before we get to our question, what's our question? What does God want from, from me? What does God want from us? Even before we get there, that verse gives us three great truths that are really good for us to consider. The first is this, is that there is a God. Like the first thing that he drops in front of us here that's good for us to make sure we have a good grasp on is that there is a God. He says here that God is in heaven, right? So when he says that, he's not just giving us some kind of geolocational data so that we can understand what, what's going on here. He's making a statement about God. He's saying God is in heaven, which talks about his greatness. It talks about his authority. It talks about who he is. It talks about his power. It also talks about this. God's in heaven. You're not, right? <laughs> so it shows us that there is a difference. And you didn't create heaven, did you? So it shows us that there is a difference between us and God. None of us can understand what it means to be him. We have to understand that there's this fundamental difference between us and him. And then in this passage, the whole idea of this passage, and you'll see this in just a moment, in verse one, he talks to them about how they are going to the house of God. 
So it applies to us as we're in church to think about this and to understand that there is a God who is in heaven, a God who is different than us, a God who has all authority, a God who has all power. So when we think about him, and especially when we think about him when we're in church, that should affect us. Look at this, the, the first verse of this chapter, Ecclesiastes 5.1, says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Interesting choice of words there at the beginning, isn't it? Guard your steps. It almost sounds that like, watch out, people are out to get you in church. Maybe they've got traps in the door when you walk in. Like that's not, that's not what it means. It has kind of this idea. Now when I, when I thought about that, guard your steps when you come to church, I, I do this from time to time. Sometimes like, you've, how many of you have ever been in our atrium here at Calvary? Raise your hand if you've ever been in the atrium. How many of you ever walked like kind of down the hallways out here or up top, anybody? How many of you are not paying attention at all? Because somehow you had to walk in this building, right? Okay, so I'm drawing your attention. You, you know the carpet when you walk in has that different kind of patterns to it. Like there's some of the squares that are the dark, dark brown, and then some of them are kind of like a little bit lighter brown, kind of that corduroy kind of look, and then there's some like tan ones. And then there's some that I honestly don't know what the color is. Some people say they're green. Some people say they're blue. Last service, somebody yelled out they're teal. I was stopped by a gentleman in the atrium afterwards. That last service just looked at me and goes, seafoam. So I don't know what the color is, right? I don't know. But I just know that there are those different ones. Every so often, I'll see a parent with a small child in the atrium, and I'll just lean down and say to the little child, see the blue ones? They're lava. Right? Do you know, you know how that works? Right? So you don't step in those. And then I just actually just did it after the last service. It was fun. And watched as this one little guy goes, oh, and he starts running away from his mom and he's doing this, you know? <laughs> so don't step on the blue ones. There's lava. Now, somebody else told me after that last service, when you tell me not what to do, I'll do it. And she just stood right on one and looked at me. <laughs> I was like, I'm glad I'm not your dad. You know, you're kind of having that, having that thought. That's not what we mean when we say guard your steps. What he's saying is, hey, Make sure that you don't go into God's house too lightly. He says, look, don't, don't take God's presence, which we know is not just when you're in this building. It's everywhere in our lives. He's saying, don't, don't miss this. Here's the question I guess this causes us to ask. Are you taking the presence of God for granted in your life? Like, do you, do you forget how great God is? Do you realize that he is there and present and active in your life? Or do you, do you take his presence lightly or flippantly? When you come to church, is there a certain aspect inside of you that's a, a reminder that when we take time to sing together, do you remember that you are singing to the creator of the universe? That actually those times when you interact with God, whether it be standing in, the, in, in one of the rooms here at Calvary or it's sitting in your car and what you're listening to or it's just when you have thoughts about him that you are literally, literally interacting with the creator of the universe. There's a sacredness, a respect, even an expectation that comes from that, but it's easy for us to forget that, especially, and I'm, I'm guilty, I'm sure some of you are too, especially if you get into a routine of some kind or another. And when it becomes routine, you start to forget this. I have to ask myself the question sometimes, are you just showing up? Like, is that all you're doing? Like, like when you come to church on a Sunday, or when you pray a prayer over a meal, or when you think about God, or let's take it, let's just be honest, or when you don't think about God, like, are you, are you just showing up? 
Sometimes I have to ask myself, in, in my religious activity, right? And this is what Solomon is talking about here. He's saying, when you go to the house of the Lord, when you interact with God, sometimes I have to ask myself the question, do I realize that I'm interacting with the very presence of God? Or am I just checking a box? Like, am I just doing what, what I feel like I'm supposed to do or what I'm obligated to do or what somebody else expects me to do? Check your heart to see if you are just checking a box, because there's times when I've got to come back and go, am I, am I doing things in the right way? Well, how are you going to know, Chad? How are you going to know if that's, if that's where your heart is? Here's one of the things that I've found. I've found that when I, when I let things get too routine, I've found that when I forget how great God is, and when, I, when I'm not giving him first place, but where I forget that he is the God that's in heaven, and higher than me, and different than me, when I start to forget that, instead of thinking about God, I start to get critical. Like I start to be critical of situations. I start to be critical of other people. Those five years that I lived in Springfield, Missouri and attended Central Bible College, the president of the college was, was Dr. Maurice Lednicki. We had chapel every day. It was a part of what we did at CBC. And I can remember oftentimes Dr. Lednicki would say in chapel, he said, when you walk in this room, you will do one of two things. You will either worship or you will be critical of those who do. That's a good word, isn't it? Like if you think and, and consider your, your interaction with God, here's what's gonna happen at some point. You're either gonna worship God or you're gonna be critical of those who do. And what I found is that when I start to see criticism cropping up too much in my life, it's usually a pretty clear red flag that I have taken my focus off of God and how great he is. Which leads us back to our text, right? Go back to it, Ephesians 5, or Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse two. It says, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Interesting thing, he says, two great truths in this passage. Here, here's, here's the first one. We've already talked about this. There is a God. Here's the second one. You are not him. Right? At some point, I've got to come to terms with that. Famous line, but so true. There is a God. You are not him. And that reality is right here. What's he say? He says, look, God's in heaven, but you're, you're on earth. Like, you're very different from him. Solomon is drawing a very real contrast here. And then he goes into this next verse, which, to be honest, until I really took some time to kind of dig in and think about it, just kind of confused me. But he says this in Ecclesiastes 5.3. He says, very next verse, a dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. Which when you read this whole passage, which are about seven verses there, you, you start to go, that doesn't seem to fit there until you realize what he's saying. He's not just saying that you have weird dreams when you're worried about things. What he's saying here is when you're worried about things, when you have many cares, or let's take it one more step, when your cares are all focused on you, when your focus and your thought is all internal and driven by self, then you start to live life like it's a dream and not reality, you start to lose grasp on what things really look like. When your focus is all back on you, you fail to see what's ahead. Things go out of focus. Have you ever had a moment when you're driving down the road? We've talked about this before. You catch a glimpse of yourself in the rearview mirror and you think about how good you look. I've never had that happen. I'm asking. <laughs> but I have looked in the rearview mirror and went, oh, that's it, huh? But if I stay focused on what I look like, I miss on what's ahead of me. 
The truth is, what he's saying here is, look, when you let your many cares weigh you down, fill this out a little further, when you let your many cares keep you from looking at God, then life becomes like a dream. What he means is then you lose touch with reality here. You do not see clearly when you focus on yourself. So this is all, this is all kind of groundwork. We're still gonna answer that question, what does God want? But it has to start here. Grasp this. God is in heaven, you are on earth. There is a God, you're not him. Right, so when I come to terms with that, what do I do? It's interesting what Solomon says to us. He, he, he takes this next step. He says, verse three, let your words be few. He says, look, if you are in this place where you recognize that there is a God and you're not him, he is great in heaven, and yet we are here on earth, what's our response? That we recognize his greatness and that we choose to let our words be few. There's an attitude that's in that. It's not that you're busy and running your mouth, but you recognize how great he is. There's times and places where you've got to go, I got nothing to say here. Like, I need to see who he is and honor him. That shows up in our prayers sometimes. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6, where he says, look, when you pray, don't just run your mouth, because God already knows what you need, so you, you focus on him, not just what you can say. We need to be careful about that, the words that we speak. There are times when the very best thing that we can do is just to be still. Like, there are moments when the most spiritual thing that you can do is to put away the phone and put away the tablet and, and turn off the radio and turn off the TV and maybe just sit and be silent. Because sometimes I can't hear God because my own thoughts and the world around me are so loud. Anybody? There's times when the very best thing that I can do, and maybe this is a discipline, I'd, I'd encourage you, maybe, maybe take some time and do that this week. When was the last time that you really just kind of stopped for a moment and said, God, I'm right here. I'm gonna let my words be few. I just wanna hear from you. And if you'll, if you'll stop long enough, something will begin to, I believe, just kind of come alive and, and, and awaken you. Sometimes you'll, you'll sense some conviction and it's something that, that maybe God is challenging you needs to be different in your life. Can I tell you this though? If, if in that moment what you sense is either fear or condemnation, that's not from God, right? That's what the enemy puts inside of us. That's what the enemy tries to get us to do. But what God wants us to see is that even in those moments to say, God, I put my confidence in you. I put my hope in you. Sometimes he'll spring something alive in you. Sometimes he'll speak words of encouragement and life to you. There are these moments when we do well just to stop and slow down enough to recognize who he is. There is a God. You are not him. So let your words be few. So if what he wants is not for me to just run my mouth, which how much of our, our Christianity sometimes is just that we run our mouth? Anybody? <laughs> like sometimes if that's not what he wants, what does he really want? Like if he's basically saying here, hey, look, talk is cheap. What does God really want from us? This passage fascinates me because it's almost like Solomon, as he's writing this, just kind of sticks this right here in the middle. It almost doesn't fit with everything else that he's doing because he's talking about wisdom and he's talking about wealth and he's talking about how we're supposed to live. And he's gonna get right back to that here in just a moment as, as he moves on to the rest of the book. But it's like he just hits a quick timeout in chapter five, first seven verses. And he says, before, before I say anything else really practical to you, can I just talk to you about you and God? 
He's like, like, like everything else in your life, before we go too far with this thing, let me make sure that you're understanding this about God so that you're not going to church and kind of wasting your time. So you're not like real busy doing stuff and you're not doing it right. Let me talk to you about God for just a moment. And he, and he says, there's a God in heaven, you're not him. So not only does he say, let your words be few, but then it brings us to this whole question, what does God want then? Right, what is it that God wants from us? I think there's three things that are real clear in this passage that are good for us to see. What does God want? The first thing I'd, I'd say is God wants obedience. What God asks from us is for us to hear what he says to us and then for us to be willing to do those things. Anybody who's a, who's a parent knows how frustrating it is when you know your child hears you but doesn't care to respond to what you've said. Anybody? Some of you need to pray for deliverance right now. Some of you are praying for your child for deliverance right now, right? What God wants is obedience. How do you know that? Go back to the very first verse in this chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse one. Solomon says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. That word there where he says, go near to listen, that word you'll see translated in other parts of the Old Testament as the word obey. The idea behind that is not just to hear something, it's to hear and do something. That you listen and then you obey. So this isn't just acknowledgement, this is action. This is doing what God would have for you to do. So God wants obedience. I think it shows up in two ways. One is this, that you do what God says. I mean, I think we know that. That at some point, what God wants from us is for us to do what he says. But here's what's interesting. We, we get that convoluted sometimes. I'd say especially if you've come from some kind of a very, I don't, I don't know the right word, maybe religious. If you've come from some kind of a very religious background, or maybe if your perception of Jesus and God and Christianity has all come through the media, then sometimes we begin to think that our relationship with God is about what we have to do to earn that relationship. And this is something very significant that, that Solomon is pointing out here. Look, he says, look, God wants you to listen and obey, not just offer sacrifices. He says, because when you try to offer these big sacrifices to God, but in your heart you've not really surrendered to God, he calls that the sacrifice of fools. Isn't that interesting? Like there's nothing wrong with the things that you want to give to God, but what you give to God is not what defines your relationship with God. Look, we do not sacrifice for a relationship with God. And I'm, I'm gonna use the word that Solomon uses here, right? Because he uses the word sacrifice. So when we, when we say sacrifice in these next few moments, let's just call that everything that we do to appear to be religious or everything that we do to try to please God or everything that we do because we think that's the spiritual thing to do. Those sacrifices that we give, the reason that you sacrifice is not for a relationship with God. Right, Because if your relationship is just based on the gifts you give, that's not much of a relationship, right? right. Like if you, if you know that at, at Christmas and at my birthday, you're supposed to give me a gift because we're friends. That's not a bad idea, actually, is it? <laughs> but let, let's backtrack this. Because if that's all you think it is, but then we never interact throughout the rest of the year, and even when we do, like I, I call or I text and you ignore but, but you're, you make sure and give me a good gift because you want to keep that relationship there. But if there's no real relationship there, how do I feel about that relationship? Right? right? The same is true with your spouse. 
If you think that just because you give a gift from time to time, that's what makes the relationship, yes, it may get you out of trouble from time to time, but that does not build the relationship. Right? Relationships come through interaction with each other, respect for one another, understanding one another. But if you think that just because you sacrifice in some way, that is what gives you, that's what, that's what makes a relationship with God, that's not true. But this is dangerous because in our spirituality, oftentimes it's easier to sacrifice. It's easier to offer your sacrifice than it is to offer yourself. Sometimes it's easier for me to just give a gift than it is for me to try to work out the relationship. Sometimes it's easier for me to just give a gift than actually nurture that interaction. Sometimes it's easier to offer your sacrifice than it is to offer yourself. And you know what God says about that? (laughs) He says, if your relationship with me is just based on the spiritual things that you do, well, he uses some interesting words. Look at this, Amos chapter five, verse 21. God says, I hate I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I'll have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Do you see what God said there? He's like calling out hypocrisy there. He's saying, look, there's nothing wrong with songs. There's nothing wrong with offerings. There's nothing wrong with worshiping God in the way that is proposed, the way that we do. But if you do it just because you think you have to, but the things that should be right in your life are not right, God says that it's a stench to him. That's powerful, isn't it? So, So I gotta think about this. Right, in my obedience... Your sacrifice, it is not how you get that relationship with God. The reason you sacrifice is because of a relationship with God. It's not for a relationship with him. It's because of a relationship with him. You know why I should want to give you a gift at birthday or Christmas? If your last name's Gilligan, I'm not trying to give one to all of you, okay? But you know why? It's because of relationship. Not just because I'm trying to earn that relationship, because I have that relationship. That's that's the difference here. So remember this, because so much of our lives needs to come back down to this idea with God that is so important. But I want to back it up, because actually there's something really interesting that Solomon says here. He not only says that in obedience to God, what does God want from us? Well, he wants obedience. He not only says that we do what God says, but he also points in, out here that he, that he wants you to do what you say. Don't, don't just do what God says, but do what you say. Like be a person of your word, not just with each other, but especially with God. That in your relationship with God, that there's honesty, that there's integrity. Let, let me read this to you, the, the, the next few verses, verses four through six. Solomon writes, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? This, this passage causes me to think about this a little bit because remember, he's, he's talking about when you go to church. 
So let's just talk about worship. And worship is actually every part of your life. So when you, when you worship in some way, when you interact in some way, you have to ask a question. Like one of those questions we've already asked. One is, are you just showing up? Like sometimes when you interact with God, when you interact with God's people, the question is, are you just showing up? There's another question you gotta ask too though. And that question is, are you just showing off? Like sometimes our, our whole spiritual life is lived out because of a perception that we wanna give in some way. And we have to ask the question, are we just showing off? Is my worship putting on a show for people? Like, is, is my Christianity actually something where I'm trying to make sure other people think of me in a certain way, interact with me in a certain way? I've known people who have gone to great lengths to appear a certain way, only to kind of come back around and realize, I'm not really doing this for God, I'm more doing this for other people. Are you just trying to put on a show for people? Here's what Jesus said about that, Matthew chapter six, verse one. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Do you hear what he said? All that work you're putting in to seem righteous, it's, it's worthless. There's no reward for it. That's not what God wants. God does not want you putting on a show to impress other people. But that's not actually, I mean, it's good for us to talk about. It's, it's healthy to, to consider. But that's not what Solomon's talking about here. The question he's asking is not so much are you putting on a show for other people. Here's the question. Is, is my worship putting on a show for God? Like, am I, am I trying to impress him with something that is not real? Like, this passage of Scripture talks a lot here about making a vow. Well, what would that be? Well, in ancient times, in Judaism, if you needed something from God... There might be a moment where you would go to the temple and you would kind of make this vow and you would say, if God does this, then I'll do that. Like if God does this, then I'll offer this kind of sacrifice. Or if God does this, then I'll have this kind of worship. If God does this, then, then I'll make this promise or I'll dedicate this child or I'll give this offering. And people would do this and they would make these vows. And apparently there was some kind of system at some point in time where you would make a vow and there would be a record of it. And at some point you would be called to, to, to be good on that, to own up to and, and provide for that vow. Here's the tricky part. You can't bribe God, can you? Can you? This is good to know. Can you bribe God? <laughs> okay, good, right? In fact, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 25 says, it's a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider one's vows. So you want to be mindful of this. And you might go, well, we don't have that system. We don't, we don't have some kind of system where you have to do that. But, but think about this. We often make promises in church that we struggle to keep. Like whether it be some kind of response to a message or some kind of interaction, it doesn't even have to be in church. Maybe, maybe you remember this, 10th grade biology, taking the test you didn't study for. And you're sitting there and you say, dear God, I didn't study for this test, but if you help me pass it, I'll be a missionary, right? And you start, <laughs> right? Because you make these vows, like, God, you, you help me with this. I'll do anything. I'll be nice to that person. I'll, God, I'll, I'll, I'll stop doing this, or I'll start doing that. And we make these vows sometimes, and then as soon as we pass the test, what happens to the vow? <laughs> right, and I know that may be a silly thing to say, but we do this all the time, because it's easier to make a promise than it is to keep it, isn't it? Well, unpack that in different areas of your life. Where are the places that maybe not just God, but other people, you've left them hanging? Because it's real easy to make a promise. It's not as easy to keep it. 
What Solomon's saying to us here, and this, this is just a matter of integrity, right? Remember to say what you mean and mean what you say. Like, don't just say things because it gets you out of trouble. Don't just say things because you're trying to accomplish something in a moment. Like, there's a whole matter of integrity there. But where I often don't think about it is in my relationship with God. And how many times do I have this interaction with God where I say things, but maybe I don't really mean it? Ecclesiastes 5.5 it's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. There's a, there's a list in Psalm 15 of traits that please God. Here's, here's one of the verses, verse four of Psalm 15. God's pleased with those who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. Have you ever had to be good on something you said even though it was painful? So where does that, where does that line up with God? Hey, remember, like I'm, I'm just a facilitator here today. Right, but I'm just, I'm just challenging you to think about this a little bit. Your relationship with God. Your interaction with him. Because it's real clear here, he's not so thrilled when we say things, but we don't follow up on them. In fact, then it gets, it gets even trickier, right? Because then you get to verse six. Look at verse six here. He says, do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? So apparently, there was somebody called a temple messenger who that if you made a vow, apparently there was some record keeping, and if you made a vow and you didn't, you didn't pay up on that sacrifice or whatever it was, somebody would come to you, they'd like see you at the temple and they'd be like, hey, Chad, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Hey, man, I, I saw that you said you were going to give this kind of sacrifice a, a while back, and there was, a, there was like a due date on there, and you, you didn't give that sacrifice, Chad. What, what happened there, you know? And then Chad's like, not me, different guy named Chad. This guy, Chad's like, well, that was a mistake. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. And he started making excuses, right? It's an interesting idea, interesting system that they would do that. We're going to start that first of the year. <laughs> and does that people stop by the house? You know, we're not doing that. But you do have that relationship with God, right? And what happens is oftentimes we begin to make excuses. And according to that verse, oftentimes we make excuses with regards to our sins. We're, we're quick to do that, right? We, we ask for forgiveness, but oftentimes we ask for forgiveness with an excuse attached. Not just, not just pure repentance, but we say to other people, or we even say to God, I'm so sorry I did that, but you got to understand why. <laughs> like, I was really tired, or I just, I just needed a break, or I responded to that person that way because they made me really, really angry, or I, just, I didn't know how else the situation was going to work, so I just, I just had to go to drastic measures. Like, we take those excuses for sin, and we kind of rest and rely on those sometimes. We look for those excuses to get us out of situations. Here's the problem with that, though, and this is what this verse says to us, is that that doesn't work out in the end, right? And I know you probably don't do this, but the, the person sitting in the row behind you probably does, all right? But there's these times when maybe there's this area of sin in your life, but you make an excuse, and, and you go, well, but yeah, but this is why, this is why that happened, and according to that verse, the problem is that when you start making those excuses, you put yourself in a place where God can't bless you. And there's good things that could be coming into your life, but the work of your hands do not produce that because of the excuses that you're making. And then what happens is we usually get mad and we start to blame God, right? Watch the process again. 
It's my sin, but I make excuses for it. But because of that, I'm not open to the blessings that God would want to bring, and then I get mad at God because of the state of my heart. Does that make sense? Anybody? So like this, this is important for us to think about it, because then we start to blame God when things don't work out, when actually what we may need to come back and go is, God, what you really want from me is obedience, not because you're trying to take something from me, but because you're trying to bring blessing into my life. So I need to not only be careful to do what you say, God, but then I need to be careful that I'm living my life with integrity before you with regards to the choices I make and with regards to the things that I do. Because what happens is at some point I begin to pile up those excuses and I begin to pile up those rationales and I save them up thinking that there's something that's gonna help me and then they hurt me. I read the weirdest story this week. It was, it was, it was a news article that, that I, I just thought, this is super weird. There's this house in Indiana somewhere that nobody lives in Somebody owns it. Nobody lives in it. And the house has been designed, it's like in a, it's a home, right, for people to keep their snakes in, right? So if you, like, want pet snakes, you keep them at the snake house, and apparently you can just, like, stop by and visit your snakes, feed your snakes, this kind of stuff, so you, you don't have to have them. In, I don't know how it works. If you can't, like, if you've got a snake-free apartment, I don't know what it is, right? But there's this house. It's super weird. So that, that when they get to the house, there's 140 snakes in this house. Anybody want to visit? Okay, one lady that's there has 20 of them. Like 20 of those snakes are hers. The other day they couldn't find her. Let me finish. So they went to the snake house looking for her. When they got there, they realized that one of her snakes is an eight foot python. They found the snake, it was wrapped around her neck and she was gone. No longer with us. They asked the police to comment on the situation. Here's the quote. Apparently, she's there checking for, on her snakes for whatever reason. She apparently got the snake out, and she was doing what people do with snakes. Well, that's clear, isn't it, I think, when you read that? It's just interesting. I, I don't know. The whole, the whole story just kind of creeps me out, but how sometimes the very things that we collect, the very things that we hold on to, are the very things that if we're not careful are gonna choke the life right out of us. And man, that's true with our sins. It's true with our excuses. At some point, the honesty to just say, God, I, I gotta just figure out who you are. Because God, you're in heaven, and I'm on earth, and I'm not you. So my words aren't gonna do it anymore. At some point, God, it's gotta come down to my actions that I do what you say, and that I stay true and do what I say. Because one of the things that God wants is obedience, but how do I do that? Because for some of you, you're like, Chad, I've been here over and over and over and over again. I've disappointed God over and over and over and over again. And how many times could God say that I'm a hypocrite or that I'm a failure or that I'm, and so this message is not to discourage you because one of the things that this message could be prone to do is cause you to go, well, if I can't keep a vow, why would I make it? See, where it starts is in a relationship with God, okay? So one of the things God wants is obedience, but can I tell you this? What God wants is reverence. Here's a second thing, if you're, if, you're, if you're keeping track, a second thing God wants from you is reverence. Like he wants you to realize who he is, not because his ego needs it, but because your life needs it. Because when you understand who he is, then it frees you up to be who you are. 
Then you can live life as a child and of God, as a son and daughter of God. Then you can live life in freedom and you can live life in fullness and you can live life with purpose. So it starts by you saying, God, I know who you are. Look at this, Ecclesiastes 5, 7. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. So all my striving and all my cares and all my talk is cheap. Therefore, he says, fear God. This whole book, when we get to chapter 12, will come down to those two words. What's life all about? You fear God. Not because he wants you to be afraid, but because he wants you to figure out who he is and live your life with him in mind. Because what does God want? God wants obedience. And God wants reverence. He wants you to acknowledge who he is and who you are But the reason he wants that, and this is the third thing, and can I tell you, and especially if you don't have this, this is the ultimate purpose. What does God want? God wants relationship. And he wants relationship with you. He wants to know that things are right between you and him so that you can know his forgiveness, so that you can know his joy and his peace and his purpose. Like that's, that's the whole point of the story. Not just the book of Ecclesiastes, but when you get to the New Testament, the whole point of the story is that God sends his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross to pay the price for your sins and my sins because it's those sins that keep us from having a relationship with God. And then Jesus lives again so we don't have to fear death, but that we can know life in him. So ultimately, this whole story Everything we've talked about today is to facilitate one question. Do you have relationship with God? And it's interesting that Solomon asked this question in a very spiritual sense. He asked it in a church sense when he communicates this because so many of us miss this whole thing. Like we're looking at God and we miss the perspective of who he is. It's like we're looking at him through clawed glass. I'd, I'd never heard of that before until, until this week. Heard, heard a guy talking about Claude Glass, like C-L-A-U-D-E. It was named after the guy that invented it, some guy whose last name was Claude. And back in the 18th century, this was, a, this was a fad, especially in England, right, where people would travel. They'd go great distances to see wonderful landscapes, mountains and, and oceans and rivers. They, in particular, they would want to go and see sunsets. What's so unique about this is that they would go and they would take this clawed glass with them. And it was like this, this little mirror. And the mirror had, had like a, a curved shape to it. And so that when, when it hit the mirror, it would have this very unique look. Many people said that you could look in that mirror and that that landscape then would look almost like it was in a painting. Here's the problem with this though. What people would do is they, they would travel all this distance. They would go all this way to see these things. And let's say the sunset or the mountains or whatever was spectacular was out there. What they would do is they would sit and they would turn their back to it. And then they would hold this little mirror and they would look at the whole thing through clawed glass. And it would give a whole different perspective on it. But what was so interesting is they'd traveled all this distance. They'd done all these things only to look at something so small so they could see it from their own perspective. And in the midst, they missed out on the majesty of what was really behind them. And it made me think sometimes that's how we view God. Right? That's sometimes how we think about church. It's like there's these times when, when we try to look at God from our own little perspective. And we try to make him fit the way that we want him to look. And as a result, we miss out on the greatness of who he is. 
we fail to see him in all of his majesty because we, we try to look and see God as if we're looking at him through clawed glass. And we miss out so much on what he has for us. Some of you, I want to challenge you today to stop looking at God from your own perspective and be open to say, God, you are great and I'm not you. And God, I'm, I'm tired of, of shaping you based on my own perspective. And God, I want to worship you for who you truly are. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to put your own perspective down and to just say, God, the greatest sacrifice I can give you is me. And we're going to take a moment and sing about his greatness. And remember, I'm just a facilitator here today. So I'm, I'm asking you the question, how are you with God today? Like, is there some place in your life where you need to just very seriously say, God, I offer all of this to you. Is there some place in your heart where you need to say, God, this hasn't been right and I need to make it right? Is there some place in your heart when I would challenge you to do this, that maybe you need to sing out a song of worship to him in a way like you never have before? Maybe you're not comfortable to lift your hands, but today would be a day for you to say, God, I give all of myself to you. In fact, can I ask you to stand with me, if you would, please, whether you're in this room or you're in auditorium too. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, could you just take a moment? I'll pray here in just a moment. But would you ask this question, God, what is it that you want from me? Not with an attitude and not with an obligation, but to say because of who you are, God, and in your greatness in your love for me and your desire to have relationship. God, what is it that you ask of me today? Let's pray. Father, in this moment, as we worship you, as we take our attention off of ourselves and we focus on you, as we proclaim your greatness, would you speak to our hearts as we look at you today? In Jesus' name.
Lord, may we go through this week remembering that there is a God, that I'm not Him, and that as I do my best to obey and give Him reverence, it's all because of the relationship that you want with us. God, that we would walk through this week knowing your presence and your closeness, your joy and your fulfillment, your guidance and your strengthening, all that we do. Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, that you'd send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.